All right. Welcome back to Shellyville, everyone. So glad you could join me or tune in. Tonight, I'm sitting with Justin in Justin's office, and we are going to talk about mental health professionals and pretty much why um, therapy is the way therapy is. Now, I am a licensed professional counselor, and I have been for 12 years now. So starting Shellyville was kind of my exit out of therapy, if you could say. It was a, it was something to do that was mental health related, but didn't necessarily have to be um, as serious as what it's like one-on-one with the client. So one of the questions that was asked to me recently through my um, podcast email, which is ShellyvillePodcast at gmail.com. ShellyvillePod at gmail.com. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Justin. I know it was something like that. (laughs) But one of the questions is who's who in the mental health field? Like who are we, who would you look for if you had a mental health crisis or question? So I kind of want to go over just basics about what therapy is and who we pick and why we pick them. So when we are feeling abnormal and somehow, some way with ourselves, we have this feeling that something's not right. And why you would choose a therapist is based on really what that kind of is. If you're dealing with depression or anxiety, if you're seeking out medication, if you're really just looking for someone to communicate your issues, if you've got a transitional problem at home, like there's lots of reasons why people reach out for therapists. But therapist isn't the only thing out there. There's also licensed professional counselors and social workers, and those are considered master level therapists, okay? So the difference is there's life coaches, there's people that you would talk to that maybe you had some questions about or just wanted to get to know something or have some answers like advice. But if you're really looking for mental health in the state of Michigan, at least, and kind of across the board, it has to be a professional that has a master's degree. So really, you're looking for someone who has a higher level of education. And the higher the level of education, the more they can do for you as a therapist. So I myself cannot prescribe medicine because I do not have a doctorate. I, I don't, I'm not a doctor. But I wouldn't want to prescribe and I wouldn't even need a doctorate to do my job. I needed a master's. So I don't want to prescribe medicine. But if you really want to go and be put on some kind of medicine, you're going to go through either a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, or a nurse practitioner. And those are the ones that can prescribe medicines. But everyone else is kind of just going to be talk therapy. So So question for you. Okay. Okay. You have somebody, but you can diagnose, correct? I have to diagnose, yes. You have to diagnose. Yep. So when you diagnose somebody, do you refer them to an MD for, like if if part of your diagnosis thing, hey, I think that um, medication should be part of your treatment, do you then refer to an MD to prescribe or a psychiatrist or what's the next step? Well, usually I say, do you already have an existing primary? Because a lot of times it's easier to get into a primary if it's an emergency and you need to be seen right away. Psychiatries are hard to get in. Like there's a six to eight month wait sometimes to get into a new to a new doctor. And I think that's true with even medical doctors now. There's like such a long wait to get in. So a lot of people go through a nurse practitioner, which sometimes they're a little bit easier to get in. So the first question is, if you already have a medical doctor, start there. But if you don't, then get your name on a waiting list with a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a nurse practitioner. What is, uh, describe, because 
me as somebody, I feel like I say this every episode. At some point, I am going to become an expert just from you listening to you. But <laughs> as somebody who doesn't know this stuff, when I think of somebody needing to be seen for mental health related things, the mm-hmm. first thing I think of is psychiatrist. What What is like the other than like the big fancy degree that they have on the wall compared to what you do? Functionally speaking, what is the biggest difference between what you do as a counselor and what a psychiatrist would do? A psychiatrist is really going to do medication management. They're going to look at your severity of what you're coming in with, and they're not going to help you with the coping skills, but they're going to put you on medicine that can reduce the symptoms. So they have a very important job, but almost every client I have that has a psychiatrist is only in front of them for 15, 20 minutes max. So you're not going to get a lot done. You're talking symptoms. You're talking about, well, did you have any side effects from the medicine? Let's try you on this kind. Let's try you on that. What other medicines are you on? So they get a bigger picture of your medical records, I think. And they're going to look at you overall, what you're doing, where when you come to talk to a a therapist, you're coming in with just that problem you want to work on. But when you really go to a psychiatrist, you're looking at your whole medical map of your body and and your kind of symptoms and, you know, are you sleeping too much? Are you not sleeping enough? Or they ask different questions a night because I don't need to know some of the stuff that they ask. Okay. So it really the best kind of treatment out there is talk therapy with a therapist as well as seeing a psychiatrist. And a lot of psychiatrists work in agencies where they have therapists in there and they expect that if you're being seen by a psychiatrist, you have to be seen by one of their therapists in their practice. I see. So that's a really big deal. And that's happening a lot. And that's kind of changing our industry for us independent people, because I'm an independent. Yep. Um, I have to find a psychiatrist that won't that won't that stands alone. <laughs> that's not an not easy pri- to do. And like Pine Rest here and and Bright, or I mean in Grand Rapids, they they kind of want you to stay within their system. And so it's really hard to kind of find those doctors. That's probably why I, I push primary first, because a primary doctor will be okay with me being the therapist. Okay. Well, that's good. I The reason I ask is because I know somebody who is a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and um, and and she she's just busy up to her eyeballs. Oh, like absolutely. She, she's probably got a waiting list about six yes. or seven months long. And, and she's, yeah. And, and if she chooses to do so, she's working from sun up to sundown. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, they, they say 12. Mm, yeah. They're working all day long. Yep. Which is, I mean, in, in a way they can, because they have shorter appointments so they can get more and more people in, but you still have your records. You still have to write your prescriptions. I mean, right. you got a lot going on. A so. lot of work. A lot of work. So is there, as far as like a career path, like let's say somebody who had ambitions to go to the highest level in this space, is what you do kind of on the career path to becoming a psychologist or a psychiatrist? Or is is it more of a... It's you know, one you, path off. Okay. It's like one road over. Okay. <laughs> it's not the main road, but I'm like parallel, parallel driving along. Okay. I mean, you can get a PhD in, in this mental health. You can get a PhD in mental health. You can be a, a psychologist, but they're more of, they're more into research and testing and testing. And I, that's just not something I want to do. Mm-hmm. If I'm really going to prescribe medicine, you're going to go be a doctor. You're going to get that PhD and go all the way. So it really depends on what you want to do. If you want to be someone who 
prescribes medicine, you're going to go all the way up to a doctor. But the thing is, even even some of my, I've had a social worker once that she was a doctoral level social worker. She didn't want to prescribe medicine. So just because you get that degree doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to prescribe it. But look at the letters behind um, someone's name, and that usually gives you an indication of how far their education has taken them. And the more letters they have, the more they want you to know the letters that they have, right? <laughs> because they've spent more money for those letters. Yep. Those those letters cost a lot of money. And those little so three-letter acronyms at the end of their title. <laughs> Means mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that that has a big, like, you don't necessarily need to go to the highest level. If you are just going through a divorce or you have a little, you know, something's irritating you and you really don't need to go that high care level. You don't have to just go find a, um, a master level therapist. How would somebody find somebody like you? And, and I, and I'm, I'm obviously like the people listening to this are like, Oh, just email <laughs> Shellyvillepod at gmail.com. But like sure. if somebody is just, I'm and this is more for my own curiosity is like, how do you go about finding somebody who does what you do? Just, you Google, Google therapist near me. You would be surprised. Okay. It's r- basically today before I got here, I, I just put in therapist near me and you wouldn't believe like all the, all the agencies come up. It's harder to find individuals, um, unless you own and own your own practice, but obviously the bigger companies are going to show up first. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for someone small, anyone that's been in our business, they're usually in a directory and that's going to be either psychology today or good therapy or thrive notes. There's like a thousand little directories for mental health, but even the state of Michigan, people find me under, under the insurances that they find because, um, I'm, I'm paneled with a few insurance companies. So let's say if you have blue cross blue shield and you want to know who's in the area, blue cross blue shield will give you a list of all the therapists that take your insurance. I see. So there's a, there's a lot of different ways to find a therapist, Okay, but you know, my favorite is word of mouth. It's a previous client that says, Hey, you know what? I really, she really helped me with this, you know, call her and see if she's available. And funny, this just happened. Someone referred me recently and I don't know the therapist that refer- that gave the name. Like, oh, it's like awesome. I'll take the referral, but I don't know who they were. So, I mean, it's just, it's just kind of word of mouth sometimes too. No, those are the best word, word of mouth referrals are by far the best form. Absolutely. I would much rather, I mean, I, I, I have a, referral based business as well. And mm-hmm. when I get a referral from somebody who I've worked with in the past and done well with it, that's, that's the best. I know. So. And it just makes you feel so good. And then it makes you want to work a little bit harder for that person. And, Absolutely. You know, you're like, oh, okay, what else do you need? Mm-hmm. But it really is reputation. And I think that's huge. And, and that's actually something we can talk about sure. because I've had a recent conversation with one of my clients about what makes a good therapist? And we came up with a list of what makes a horrible therapist. Let's hear the list. <laughs> Got to hear this. So these are the things that we've kind of described as not being good therapists. And that would be a therapist that would, one, put their point of view on you. So let's say if you are someone who doesn't necessarily believe in God, but they're telling you, you need to go get God. You need to have faith. They're pushing their agenda. Well, let's say they're, they have a political view and it's not yours, but they're telling you, well, you're stupid for not believing that. Anytime someone of authority in a relationship tells you how to think or feel, 
that's not a relationship that you want to be in with a therapist. Mm -hmm. You're actually paying that person to listen to you, not tell you what to do. So that was kind of a big one, but also like little things like falling asleep. I've had clients complain about therapists falling asleep on them. Uh. (laughs) I mean, talk about that would just put me over the edge. Yeah. That would be horrible. Your life trauma is so boring. I need to take a nap. (laughs) That would just suck. I would be like, hello, (laughs) I got to go now. I've I've heard stories where therapists eat their meals in front of the client. Now, you know, on occasion, maybe if you have to, but if you're bringing your meal in every time it's your session, I would be like, uh, no, I'm paying you not to eat. Thank mm-hmm. you. I would really like you to give me my attention. Now, if you are a patient, it doesn't mean it's not a bad idea to bring your therapist snacks. Right. That's right? totally different. Mm-hmm. I do like a little sweets. Yeah. And I, I've had beautiful presents that I have been given and we're not supposed to accept them. So that's not not advertising mm-hmm. that. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> but food is considered a monetary gift and gummy bears go a long way. <laughs> they do. They make you happy. Of course. chocolate. Yeah. Everybody loves chocolate. Yeah. Shelly said earlier that she doesn't <laughs> prescribe anything, but I'm sure there are some clients of hers that have walked out with gummy bears. Here, take two of these. You'll feel better. <laughs> I have lots of chocolate in my office. Emergency chocolate. You never know when you need it. Yep. You never know when you need it. Yeah. So uh, just stuff like that. But for to be a to really to be a good therapist, you basically have to have good listening skills. So it's it's listening to what the person says. But I think what also works is picking up something that the client said, and then later on, maybe the next session or two or three sessions down the road, you bring back something that you remembered from that client, and that's huge. When someone feels that they're being heard or that they're being remembered or there's something that they said that was unique that you carried. I mean, that's a big deal. Now I do see a lot of clients and I have been very fortunate that I have been pretty good at remembering everybody and their stories, but I've had clients come in and tell me, you know, that their therapist couldn't keep them straight, that they didn't know who they were talking to, that they were confused, that they got their stories mixed up. Well, I think after a while I would feel very invalidated by that. I mean, I think that would be pretty hard to be around someone that wasn't listening to me or paying attention to me when I was talking. So again, the sleeping and the falling asleep or the Mm -hmm. yawning or like passing out, that would just not work well for me. Mm -hmm. So can you think of other things that would make a bad therapist? Have you ever had a bad therapist? No, no, I haven't. Um, No, because I feel like if I had a, I'll say this. I think that if you, if you as a therapist make a bad first impression, that is going to stick with that person a really long time and they Mm -hmm. probably won't come back. And that's the biggest thing about this, right? Mm Because this is our reputation. This is my reputation. But here's the thing. I know I can't help everybody. Like sometimes I think it's great that they don't come back because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, that probably wouldn't have worked anyways. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I wonder if like, it doesn't matter how good you are as a therapist. Sometimes there are just irreparable differences with personality and stuff. And you're going to be getting to know some people's deepest, darkest, most intimate secrets. And if there's not like a level of common, it doesn't mean you have to like, you know, be the same as everyone. You kind of know, you know, you know, when you're talking to someone, whether or not you feel comfortable around them. And there's times when, I mean, being vulnerable in front of a stranger, like there's two things that happen. You're either going to love that or you're going to hate it. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to hate it, it's going to take you to, 
a time to warm up to anybody. So you're going to want to definitely be sitting in front of someone that you like. Sometimes I say it takes maybe two or three sessions to kind of figure that out. But I mean, sometimes, you know, instantly, mm-hmm. you know, let me ask you this. What are some things that you do in like an initial appointment with somebody? It, maybe they're struggling to open up a little bit. What are some tactics that you use to kind of warm everything up, make it seem more comfortable? Um, what are some tricks of the trade, if you will, that you've picked up on? <laughs> well, you know, I smile. Yes, that helps. <laughs> and which is not like my son who would be so mad at me because he's like, mom, you laugh too much. I'm not laughing at what's, you know, serious. I do have some professionalism, but I will find something that they said and I will smile at it or I will laugh or like, oh man, I can relate to that. I try to be relatable Mm -hmm. and we can all kind of connect through humor. So I do use a lot of humor in my, but only in the beginning when it's, when you can already tell that there's a nervous energy there, Mm -hmm. that's kind of when I will use, um, humor. But otherwise, it's really what's so great about meeting someone for the first time is the ability to ask them a ton of questions about themselves. Because I don't need to know how deep we're going. I can pretty much figure it out by like your family, like what's your family dynamics and how how did you know, how did you get here? Have you been in therapy before? You just start asking a ton of questions and things start rolling along. I'll hear something And then I can go back and relate to it. Weird. It's almost like you have, you naturally have the skill set to do an interview podcast. (laughs) Weird how that works. (laughs) Shocking how that would turn out. Because that's the exact same thing I do when (laughs) I'm interviewing somebody on my show. Right. It's you just ask questions until you think you're hearing what you want to hear. And the reality is the client is going to bring you what they want to give you anyways. So relatable is just, hearing them. Like I hear you like, mm-hmm. okay, so then what else happened? And oh, okay. So how long did you do that? I mean, you hear the question or you hear what they say, and then you expand on it. You ask just a couple more questions. So it's a lot of question asking in the beginning. Once I figure out who they are and why they want to be there, then it's kind of a different form of communication because it's, then it's more listening, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, so how long has that problem been going on? And And then you just really get into what's bothering them. But that's what I love best about therapy is that I do think I have multiple personalities because I can sit with so many different people and I'm mirroring. I am kind of giving back what that person is giving me. They're kind of in a low mood. I'm sitting back more, a little bit more relaxed, a little bit lower. If they have good energy, then then I have good energy Mm -hmm. too. So I'm trying to mirror back who they are. If they're extremely depressed, I'm not going to bring out all of Shelly. For sure. <laughs> I'm not going to like, they're not going to get the full. Maybe like one step <laughs> above where they're at. Right. To kind of. Just give them hope yeah. to say, you know what? I, I can get it. I get mm-hmm. it. So it's just, I mean, the personality that you have to have to sit with so many d- different people, um, it's energy. Mm-hmm. It, it's really energy. And what's crazy is by the end of the day, I am zapped. Mm -hmm. Like I'm done. Like I didn't do anything, but I sat all day and I am just wiped out. So it's a lot of work mentally to sit there and listen to someone because I'm not just listening. I'm active listening, Mm -hmm. which means I'm repeating back or I am asking more in-depth questions which I couldn't do if I wasn't listening or paying attention. Mm -hmm. So really, I think that's what makes a good therapist is someone when you know they're actually hearing what you have to say. That validation is right there. Like, wow, that person really got it. 
Like today I had a client and we just connected on someplace we used to live. Just some like an old place. And it was like, oh my gosh. He's like, nobody knows where that's at. And I'm like, <laughs> I do. I used to live there. So I mean, just connecting yeah. on things that you wouldn't even think would make you feel comfortable with someone else. And so that's the cool thing about meeting so many different people is I don't know in advance how I'm going to pair up with someone, Mm -hmm. but I end up by the end of the 55 minute session, I have paired up with them. Mm -hmm. So what's really cool about it also is that there's different services, right? Mm -hmm. I only provide individual therapy, but there are times when I have run groups where I've done groups where different people can come in and do um, group activities. So it really kind of also depends on what you need. I would love to run groups, um, but I just don't have the space for that. So there's individual therapy, group therapy, and then we have the doctors who handle the medication and medical medical kind of pieces. And, and that's also what social workers do. Um, they don't just do mental health therapy. They also look at the whole person and do a little bit more or know a little bit more about the person than what I do. I'm pretty much sticking right in with mental health. So is it fair to say I'm, I'm making a leap here is a social worker. Um, they pretty much do what you do, except they work for the government and you work for yourself. Is it, or mm, is well, there, it depends on where they're licensed at. It's depending okay. where they work because a lot of social works work in medical facilities. So they get hired before a licensed professional counselor. Yep, Spectrum. Right. You, you know, they have a if whole there's bunch. any, like my wife works at Spectrum and Lactation. And if she feels that there's something off, you know, they, mm-hmm. they have somebody, they have a social worker on, on call yep. on staff 24 seven for those types of odd situations to intervene. Or if she identifies somebody that's like, you know, reeling towards bad postpartum depression, like mm-hmm. that's, that's something that's very, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's one thing. So we're all hired in different locations. So a, a licensed professional counselor, we've worked really hard in the state of Michigan to get into the hospitals, to get into schools, to get into different places that weren't just individualized therapy because social workers were here first and so were the psychologists. And they're, they're not crazy about, you know, opening the field for letting us in. Mm-hmm. But, you but know. there's the, a need for it. Oh, Yeah. Like the value of the work that I do, it's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And my business is just tripling and it's insane. Mm -hmm. I just looked up today that I say I'm not taking new clients. I had four new people this week. Like, I don't know what's happening. Oh man, that's crazy. You need to hire a secretary. I do. I'm pretty. I can be your secretary. (laughs) Can you be my bulldog and say, no, no. I just need someone to say, no, I'm sorry. Michelle really needs to have Mm. lunch today. Like She can't do it. And I think that's what's happening also with our industry is that we're Mm -hmm. just slammed. I've had so many people recently reaching out to me crying that they cannot get into a therapist Mm. or they cannot get into a psychiatrist because the wait is so long. Yeah. I'm really thankful. The, the guy that, that I see is like he, when I started with him about 18 months ago, he was, uh, um, pretty much available all the time. Mm-hmm. And I tried to had, had some, he was on vacation one week. I was gone one week. He was gone the next. And so I tried to, we tried to re rework the schedule on one of those off weeks and he was completely booked. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. see, my system is like <laughs> every three weeks I want to go hide because it's like, for some reason, my schedule is Good, good, bad, 
head like uh, crazy and then okay calm again and then it just but it's the consistency in this is shocking to me like i said i've been doing this for 12 years so 12 13 years ago or whatever it was it wasn't this crazy mm-hmm. like i just i don't know if covid has made things worse i really can't well, understand it definitely has I mean, something in our society, something with everybody. And I also think the normalization, like we're normalizing that it's okay to be depressed. We're normalizing that it's okay to have anxiety. It's all right if you are suffering in some form and you want to talk to somebody. Like it's so cool that we have so many people available. But what's happening is that because everybody's doing it, we have to be more patient with the waiting and how to get on the wait list and right. who to contact and when's a good time to be. And you have to be flexible. I mean, my clients literally have to be flexible with mm-hmm. me too, because I just don't have it. So let me ask you this, in your opinion, and this is, this is very, I'm painting with a broad brush here, Okay, but do you think that, like you just said, that it's more, um, ex- what you just said, and if you can repeat it back, <laughs> accepted it's or that more we're accepted more, it's that more common. It's it, more common. It's more common. More and more people are talking about they do have a therapist, or I've talked to somebody. Like I think some of the stigma of sure. having a mental illness, or even just want. Here's the thing: you do not have to have a mental illness to talk to a therapist. Mm-hmm. You can talk to a therapist about anything. Do you think that? the the demand for therapists and and I'm again painting with a broad brush but yeah it's there's less of a stigma today mm-hmm. there's more acceptance but do you think it could also be that at some point or another there there's a a lack in ability to self regulate some of these emotions oh <laughs> we're going to go there. <laughs> I'm just curious because it seems like uh, my we answer were, would be uh, yes. And yeah. then it would be hell yes. Yeah. Cause your parents yeah. were, my your, parents beat the crap out of us if we misbehave. Right. But what years were your parents born approximately? Like fifties, uh, forties? No, my oh. parents are passed on there. They were born in 1920. 1920. Okay. Yeah. And they got married in 1940. So they were in their twenties when they got married. Okay. So my dad, so the generation before the baby boomers, mm-hmm. then yeah. my dad, my parents were baby boomers. I'm a baby um, boomer. Yeah. So I, I'm almost wondering if that there's something missing that was passed on from a generation <laughs> to an, to the next generation just <laughs> like n- natural coping <laughs> mechanisms for certain well, things. I mean, Okay, I can I can look at it even in my family. Okay, uh-huh. so we have in my siblings alone, I have we have the sixty, the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, right? <laughs> like we have it covered. Yep. We have we have decades of people in my family. My older siblings were so different mm-hmm. than us, so different than me, and we're talking, you know, the twenty year difference, but big difference. Like families did not communicate in the early sixties and fifties about mental health. Like we're talking, it didn't get really mental health talk didn't even get popular until the seventies. And they, they kind of put it with the drugs. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And then it's like, Oh, maybe it's not too many drugs. Maybe there's something else going on. Maybe they need more drugs. So after the seventies, I think we became psychology and the study of people and the study of this became much more popular. But when you talk about how kids can't regulate, I think what their biggest mistake, and I will say this and I don't, I don't care if people want to yell at me. 
stop giving participation ribbons. Like, stop, stop. Thank you for showing up, but that's it. That's funny. (laughs) You know, thank you for showing up, but let's play the game and let's, the winners win. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to teach people to be uncomfortable with losing. Comfortable, why why comfortable is that so important? Because learning to lose is the part of life. Learning to suffer, learning to know that you're not always going to get what you want and that you're going to be okay. Like that's the big thing. You're going to be okay just because you're upset right now. Mm-hmm. If we could teach children to just sit with their anger and sit with their frustration and be okay, like that's it. Why are we taking that away? We're taking the we're taking away children's ability to self-soothe. And that's a natural defense mechanism mm-hmm. that we have as human beings. We have to learn how to do that. So what I'm finding in my practice and I mean I've like I said I've been here a while. I'm not goofing around here. I have adults that do not know how to be miserable. That do not know how to cry, that do not know how to be sad. They do not know that they're going to be okay just because they feel like shit. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why there's an epidemic with, <laughs> with drugs and alcohol and, and all the escapism that we have out there and the gaming and the sex addictions and all the other things that we do to avoid because we're doing everything to avoid feeling bad. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so it's related. So what you're saying <laughs> is when my eight year, seven year old daughter challenges me to get to a game of basketball and I beat her 890 to zero. Right. I'm building character. Absolutely. You are. Now, I mean, you might be, you could let her like kind of hit the ball. (laughs) You could do a little bit to help her play the game better, Mm -hmm. but no, I don't think there's anything wrong with teaching our kids that they're going to lose. I, some of the, a couple years ago, I think it's gotten a little bit better with my college kids my high school students, because I don't see as many as I used to, but they really could not go from getting all A's to a B. Like, okay, wait, you're at like, you had all A's and you got a B and now you're like going to kill yourself. Like what the, like, there's no, there's no tolerance anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know where the hell that's about, but that is a problem. Yeah. That's a problem. I was thrilled if I got a B. <laughs> I was thrilled. Yeah. I didn't get my first A till I think I was in high school. My parents were over the <laughs> roof if I got a B. Mom, I got a B in gym class. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you showed up. Yeah, good job. <laughs> we're so happy to have you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's different. I, I don't know. I don't know. There's no real answer for what's causing mm-hmm. it. But I do know there's an uptake in it. But maybe just because people want to talk to somebody, too. Mm-hmm. I think we're more isolated. And again, you I mean, you're paying for that relationship, but you're going to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. You're going to get something out of having a relationship with a therapist. Yeah, I, it brought me back to and, and I'm on, you just nailed it right there, I think, because we are so connected by technology today and so disconnected from interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. I had a, um, had a uh, event today. We, we, my, my mortgage branch, there's five of us. We hosted an event at Uccello's. Uh, we rented out one of the back rooms for a March Madness thing. We invited a bunch of our referral partners. There's probably 30 people there. Um, I knew probably um, my, my four other coworkers and probably six people that I personally invited and the rest of the room was just a bunch of randoms, people that I hadn't met before, but all like in one room 
in a social setting, just talking shop and, mm -hmm. you know, cutting up and stuff like I'm that. I'm sure by the time you left, you knew everybody. <laughs> I, knew, I knew more people than I did, but like Going it in. got me thinking there earlier on in my life, like stuff like that was just so much more common. Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't, and you weren't on, like, I wasn't on my phone hardly at all. I was just like, you were engaged, engaged in, the moment. in the moment, having conversations with people. And it was great, mm -hmm. but it was like, it took an event and us buying yeah. pizza and drinks for, you, you know, to plan it. a bunch it was of people. It was, a, it was a, it was a, it, it took some legwork to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, which I, to be honest, I had little to nothing to do with the legwork <laughs> for that event. But, um, but you could, <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying like, I feel like in this climate, it's such a good thing to get out and do things that you are good at and get out and do some, do something that you've never done before. You have to be social. Yeah. You really, uh, I'm, you really almost have to push yourself into social settings. Mm -hmm. Having friends are, it's so important. And it even is. just having acquaintances. Just like you said, just even gathering with your coworkers and doing something. The thing is now we have so many people that are working from home. It's an even bigger epidemic of isolation For because sure. my coworkers might be in a different state. I'm not going to get together with them. Maybe once a year we're going to gather and go have some kind of mm -hmm. event. Well, especially for you, yeah. I feel like it's, it's super important. Oh, I'm very important. isolated. Because you're, you're, you work, you're independent, mm -hmm. self-employed. I've seen your office I and I've seen you in there and not a soul other than you in that <laughs> I, office. I almost was like, what, do you own the building? Well, no. You kind of do, though. You you probably could. You you could put a cot in the next in the room next to you and you'd I've probably live there it. for a couple months and nobody would notice. Know. They put a shower and I'd think about it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know a contractor. We can make that happen. Make it happen. I'll talk yeah. to I'll talk to the landlord. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. I think it's very it's when I the funny thing about that story in my office is that when I rented it out, no one else was in the building because it was COVID. Mm -hmm. And I literally was in this like six or seven suite and no one's around. And I'm I'm just like decorating it like I own the place. Uh. <laughs> like I just act like I own the place. Putting a coffee pot in there. <laughs> Doing all sorts of stuff. I'm like, oh, like other people are in the building. Mm -hmm. oh, that's crazy. But I do. I think the thing about working alone is I'm the happiest I've ever been as a therapist right mm -hmm. now. And that's just me where I'm at personally. This is what I'm doing. And this is what I love. But I do love when I talk to other therapists. I do like when I go to like conferences and meet with other like minded. I have a lot of great friends that I've stayed in contact with through the getting my degree. So I have a good, strong network of other therapists, mm -hmm. but I love my day to day by myself. Gotcha. I feel like that works best for me. But I think it just depends. But I also have an, an incredible social life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's awesome. That's really important to me. Mm -hmm. So it's finding balance, and but it's also knowing that you know my life is not just work. I do have to have fun, mm -hmm. and I like to have lots of fun. Cool. Well. Um, do you have anything else? No, I think that's it. I mean, you know, just counselors, clinicians, therapists, they're all master level therapists. They're, they're people out there to talk to. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for any reason, you can reach out to someone and, and have a conversation that's valid and meaningful to you. Because what's so important about mental health and why we are talking about it, and even why I wanted to do Shellyville, 
was really to get the message to not be afraid of how you think or feel, that if there's something you want to change, you're capable of it, and that there's a lot of resources out there to get it. Like I said, I just Googled my name. It's like therapist near me. And you're going to find somebody to talk to. You might have to wait a little bit. <laughs> you might have to, you know, be a little patient, but it can happen. There's lots of good people out there to communicate with and, and get problems solved. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's a wrap for us, ladies and gentlemen. Again, if you're still with us, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Uh, if you haven't already, make sure you hit that subscribe button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, whatever you're listening on. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Have a great night.